This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is, despite expectation to the contrary, in correction territory. I'll rant about that in a minute, but in the meantime, I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? G'day, Captain. I'm great. How are you? Mate, I, well, I'm not really sure. So we're recording this on Friday morning. It's 20 to 10 as we literally say this. So for those who are wondering whether we're, uh, what time we're recording, what we're doing, it's 20 to 10. The market's going to open in less than 20 minutes. But the US market's overnight fell about 4.5%. So we might have a tough old day on the ASX. So how am I? I don't know. I'll probably tell you about 40 or 45 minutes, I reckon. Fear not the market. Fear not the market? Is that the new motto of yeah, the format? Fear not the market. There we go. I like it. We could go with that. Yeah. Other than that, mate, how are you? I'm awesome. <laughs> Good to know. Fear not the market you're is a, my You're my a happy motto. man. All I'm right. Happy. Mate, we've got a lot to cover, unsurprisingly, today. And it's going to be broken into about three sections. We'll start off with, yes, we're going to have to talk about it again, coronavirus. I might, might possibly rant about the term correction, because I like to do that. Uh, we will talk about earnings season because we are in the last, today should be in theory the last day of company earnings. In fact, if companies aren't out by four o'clock tonight, they will be suspended from the ASX on Monday morning. So they've got a good reason, or not, not four o'clock, they're out by what, six, I think the market announcements seem to close these days. Six, seven. In any case, if they're not out today, they won't be trading on Monday. So every straggler will be trying to get their earnings out as quickly as they can. There's a couple of big names that have reported this week, and I want to get your thoughts, and I may not very opinionated, as the listeners know, but I may give some thoughts for myself. And as always, mate, we'll dip into the full mailbag. So what do you say? We get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. So there's this thing called coronavirus. I know we haven't spoken about it before. I know there's no media headlines about it. Scott Morrison's not talking about it. Donald Trump's not talking about it. It's almost not really a thing. And yet... The US market is down more than 10%. I'm going to avoid saying the term because my blood pressure can't deal with it. Correction. No, don't say it. Correction. Don't say it. I will rant on that in a minute. It is worth stopping though. I saw, I saw someone on Twitter, God love them, someone on Twitter this morning saying, it's the fastest correction in history. And I said, haven't you heard of 1987 when the markets fell 20% in a day? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to kind of lose context when it comes to, I, you know, I reckon financial types have a, pretty much got the worst working memory in history. If scientists and police officers and nurses and truck drivers had the sort of memory that financial experts, so-called experts, seem to have, I don't know how the country would continue. Our ability to completely forget stuff that happened in the relatively recent past and sort of lose all context is, is kind of unprecedented, isn't it? Well, I'm just trying to think, did you call me the financial types right now? No, not you, other people. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the people out there who are, who, are, who are kind of losing their collective Collective memory? Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll use another word. Um, losing their collective stuff about about this kind of as if this doesn't happen. You said to me, or didn't say to me. You said to our producer Will this morning on the, as we walked up. Oh, 10 percent falls happen about once a year. You would think, based on the reporting, based on the social media carry on, based on the collective losing our heads that seems to be going on around the place right now, that this has never happened before. Yeah, you know what it is. Uh, it is the I call it the click clickbait world, right? I mean, right now we're in, everybody's in a mm. race to get the headline. You need to have the headline that people click, people read, people feel fear, they come back, they click <laughs> again, you sell some ads based on that, it brings traffic to you. I'm being very, you know, um, I being guess... Very uh, this yeah, being very cynical Yeah, being very cynical, but I mean, that, that's really it, week. right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, 
you know, if you're on television and that's what you sell, if you, you know, if you're yeah. on the news, that's what you sell. I mean, you know, good news is never news, right? Someone reported to me, or someone said on Twitter, reported to me, someone said on Twitter this morning in response to one of my tweets, if it bleeds, it leads, which is one of those very old cliches, but it continues to be true. But it continues to be true, yeah. So that, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, as I said, 10% is not not really a big, I mean, it's, okay. when I say it's not a big deal, yes, you know, if the market is down 10%, you might be down actually more than that. Um, it doesn't look Still good. Hurts, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when you look at your portfolio and you think, oh, I had that money. Right, <laughs> right. You know? It literally, yeah, I, yeah, I could have. I mean, think about people. Let's, let's pick someone with a half million dollar portfolio, right? Not everyone listening, not many people listening, but, but, maybe. But, but, but make it a million because then it's easier. Well, for a lot of people, that's right. I mean, by the time you, if you can, if you can put money into super throughout your entire life, both your employer and yourself and save diligently, most people these days will retire, not retiring now, but if you're working now, You'll retire with close enough to a million bucks, but some compounding kind of does its yeah. does its work. Um, it's kind of, I mean, that's the reality, right? If you if the market falls ten percent, you're losing a hundred big ones. Yeah, you could buy a couple of cars. For, you'd almost buy a Tesla for that. Um, I, I mean, they had a hundred thousand dollars on Monday that they no longer have today. Yeah. It's I psychologically don't damaging, for, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's like, it, it's. I mean, people will be listening. To you say that and say. Not about psychologically damaging, like the financially damaging, right? This money just literally evaporated. You know, so I, I I just disagree with the financial damaging part. The reason I completely disagree with the financial damaging part is that that hundred thousand dollars that you had, you know, call it like you know virtual currency or whatever you want to call <laughs> it at that point, you were not really spending it, right? It was sitting there, it was doing its thing, right? And and, uh, and it's quite likely that you didn't have that hundred thousand dollars maybe in November, now which you had it in February, and then you have now basically just gone back to where you were in November. Is it that bad? <laughs> and that, dear fool, is exactly the lesson you need to take from this, right? We don't – no no, no one says, oh, my God, i got 100 grand more than I used to have. Oh, I, that's, that's wonderful or terrible or anything. Or most of the time they say, I'm very clever. I did that all myself. Yeah. And then the money disappears again and you go, oh, that's terrible. Now, I, I tweeted yesterday. I'm mentioning Twitter a lot today, but I've been, I've been tweeting a lot this week. Put it that way. Um, the market was up 25% in 2019. It's not supposed to be like that. As it, but as of yesterday, it was up 25% just in the 14 months since last January. That's also not supposed to be like that. Right. <laughs> but the point was that, you know, the, the big fall, now it's going to fall further today, so it'll actually be down a little bit on that number. So to be fair, that won't be the same after the market closes today. So 20%? But, well, but even still, still not right, supposed to be that. Well, that's two years' gains. And so to some people, if you'd said to someone on the, on, on the 1st of January 2019, so go back 14 months, you said to them, almost exactly 14 months actually today, um, if you'd gone back and said, I will, you will be 25% richer on February 27 than you are today, February 27, 2020, so year and two months after, would you take that? you say, absolutely. If I said, well, okay, but to do that, you're going to have to go up 25%, then up another 6 or 7%, and then down about 10 but you'll still be 25% better off. Do you want that? People say, absolutely. And yet, <laughs> these bloody headlines and carry on from – and I, I don't – look, you know, not everyone, Doc, has had the time in the markets we've had, so I don't blame the individual listener or member or – reader or just random investor for feeling kind of crappy about it, right? It, it, you need to know the way to contextualize this stuff. And your point is exactly right. The fact that you never really had the money in the first place or to the extent you did, you've made it over the last two months. You've given it back. You're as rich as you were in December and that was 25% better than you were 12 months earlier. You, you know, I have a very cynical take on this. I think maybe many people You're actually- a cynical man. I'm a very cynical person. Maybe many people actually understand this. Maybe they completely understand the fact, but you know, like you Mate, know, if you, based on what I see in here, I think no, that's no, no. A, but they, they, you know, they have to sell a news. <laughs> like it's not, it's not newsworthy to say, yeah. oh, you are up ten percent, um, you know, twelve percent. Absolutely, it's not a news item, correct, right? Correct. It's much nicer 
from a from a story point of view to say, oh, it's down, right? right. Which is, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm smiling. I'm not, you know, I'm not. It's not that I'm not sympathizing with the drop. It's just that yep. that's the way news works. Right? Yep. Yep. We always oversize and oversell <laughs> the downside, right? I mean, it's yeah. even like even it's 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 on even even on different levels. Like for example, we had earnings season, right? The company yep. reports now. Yeah, there's a headline or two about you know a company did very well, but. If a company de- does poorly, actually, that might get covered like three times <laughs> because it's more. Oh, it does right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. more interesting yeah. to yep. cover. Yep. So, and and you know, um, I, I'm not going to. I'm just going to assume that the people who actually write these terms, many of them actually know, but you know, they're they're working towards their goal of getting the clicks. I think that's right, and I think and look, honestly, those are also the more interesting stories, and and they're not they're not they're not telling us what to click on, right? I mean, they, they, I mean, to some degree, they are kind of creating or allowing us to to behave a certain way. They're not making us do it. They're doing no. it because that's what we say we want, or if we don't say we want it, we. It's the old Britney Spears is a bit old these days, and it isn't quite the time. But you know, three or four years ago, there was the old the old days when people would literally, you know, they'd say, "Oh no, I I only read the Sydney Morning Herald or the Age or the Courier Mail or the Tizer for the serious news." Yeah. And what got the clicks? The Britney Spears stories. Yeah. And you kind of go, you know, for, even though we say we, we think that's what we want to read, and I've got to say the same a little bit when it comes to to business news. The the AFR published a whole expose on Get Swift. If you haven't heard of Get Swift, don't worry about it. You don't need to think about it. What's the other one they did? The, um, the video yeah. company, the video production um, mob. Who were they? A big on, I think. Was it big on? Big on, that's right. Yes. Big on, big on. So anyway, and big stories, and they, and they read like great soap operas. They're gripping stories, and they're stories of intrigue and disaster, and they're the ones we want to read, right? The the dollar value of those companies, the money they made or lost, is absolutely immaterial to the size and the shape of the market, as you say. The the big story. I mean, you know. Again, I'll reference another tweet. I'll try and make it last time because no one wants to hear me do that. They can read my Twitter account if they want to. Um, you know, the the reality is that we talk about the biggest points drop in market history, which apparently was yesterday or overnight on the US markets. Now, is it true? Yes, of course it is. The big story should be, if we're, if we're serious, the market has put on credit so much value over the last 30 years that we can have the biggest points drop in history and it's less than 4.5%. <laughs> like that, you know that that is the real story here. That if you can lose, I saw another tweet that the market's loss today was greater than the entire market value thirty years ago, which no. by definition means the market's gone up twenty fold in thirty years. Which that's the story. That right? is that's, a phenomenal. That's the big story. That is the phenomenal thing to right, think about. Right, right. Right. Yeah. If you keep perspective and you think about the drop with respect to the gain, I think that is the phenomenal thing. Yeah. All right. So that look, that's. I get people are worried. We see emails, we see tweets, we see uh, we get questions all over the place, questions at our discussion boards at our Motley Fall services, um, asking, talking, worrying about these kind of things. Hopefully, we've given you a way to think about it and contextualize it. Um, as Doc said, it's very tempting for headline writers to write the things we're going to click on. It's very tempting for us to see the worst in things, just what humans do. Um, not every, uh, you know, we're not saying that. Now, this is the bottom. We're not saying that some falls aren't even warranted. There are absolutely overpriced shares from time to time, maybe even entire sectors, sometimes even entire markets. So we're not saying that nothing can ever go down, nothing's ever going to go down further. What we are saying is that over time, the wealth creation from investing regularly is phenomenally larger than any short-term drops. So just keep that in mind as you think about what happens to your portfolio today. Now, for all I know, the market could close up today. It's very unlikely, but it's possible. Um, just keep that in mind when you think about how you're investing, what you're investing in. The decisions you're making in your investing, don't get whipsawed by the market. Don't get whipsawed by the headlines. If you like the business and long-term profitability is going to be good, there's no reason to sell your shares and potentially even reason to buy some more if the prices are attractive enough. Anything to add on that, mate? 
No, so I'm not going to add anything. Now, I do want to talk to you about though. So, so for all of that, for all of that, let's 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 think about what. And and frankly, a great read a great line. I wish I could remember who it's from. Um, the uh, talking about investing, saying I don't predict, but I prepare. I think that's a useful way to think about investing, right? So I don't know where the market's going. I don't know where the economy is going. What I do is I make sure my portfolio is constructed appropriately such that whatever economic conditions happen to kind of, you know, come along will be sufficient, uh, will be enough, will be, you know, my portfolio can withstand. So on that basis, I do want to talk a little bit about the macro. So we're seeing heaps of, you know, travel being cut by the millions, (laughs) certainly tens of thousands. We're seeing economic activity seem to slow. We've seen companies from the, the biggest of them all, Apple, right down to some of the littlest Australian companies, talk about the impact of coronavirus on their numbers and potentially the long-term impacts. We're also seeing tourism numbers down right around the world. It's not impossible that this is going to be a tough outcome economically, at least in the short term. The RBA is meeting next week. They may or may not decide to cut. Thank God the government's finally listening. And again, politics aside, pure policy, the government had set up until I think about three days ago, there was no chance there was ever going to be any fiscal response to the economic weakness. Um, The budget surplus was all it was about. Thankfully, Scott Morrison yesterday is starting to soften that language because if it's needed, taking an ideological view rather than a pragmatic one would be a crazy thing to do. So again, politics aside, whoever's in in the lodge, um, they've got to do what they need to do to make sure the economy is protected to the degree possible with that. You know, you can't you can't create magic, but there are things that governments and regulators can do. All of that said, mate, where do you feel like we're at economically and what should our listeners be preparing themselves for? Yeah, so economically, I, you know, maybe maybe I'm the Debbie Downer here. Economically, I actually think we're we not in a very good position because of too high household debt. Um, and I think... Tourism is a big sector. It hurts us. Education sector, especially with overseas students being locked mm. out, it hurts us. Um, we have had, I think, a number of um, things that have all, I guess, come together in, in sort of the wrong way, mm. right? So we had, you know, we first had no rain, right? So we, so we, we didn't have rain when we needed the rain. So, you know, farmers were uh, talking drought. Then we had um, big bushfires, and then we had lots of rain, right? And then we had coronavirus, and and that that that's sort of going on. So I think, yeah, economically, I think oh, maybe we're not in a bad state, but we're not in a great position, and sort of maybe our interest rates also reflects that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's my overall view of the economy as such. Um, that has implications for individuals, but mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're if you're investing, though, it doesn't mean that there are no companies to invest in. There right. are companies to invest in. Pretty much in any market, right? Um, yeah, but but I'm 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 overall mindful of um, discretionary spend. Mm. Um, you know, things that are exposed to uh, local travel, um, to some extent, maybe even retail. But although you know, even the retail world sort of is, is split across, um, you know, different things. So you know, certain retail are, are going to be you know under pressure. Some some are not going to be under pressure. Um, so that that's the way I'm sort of. Um, I'm, I'm viewing this. And then, of course, there are companies that have more sort of global exposure, which, mm. you know, will be able to sort of uh, smooth out some of the local um, local specific issues. Mm. But, you know, the, even global companies will not be able to smooth out sort of the coronavirus problems, uh, you know, however short term they are, because it's basically a global problem. The 
My view is that, and I'll get your thoughts, my view is that for all of the short-term issues, as long as the companies you're investing in aren't going to go broke, this is a short-term hiccup you should be able to look through, look to where the company will be a year or two years from now rather than worrying about the next three months, particularly when it comes to share price and investing. And in fact, if the market doesn't do that, if the market ignores that and marks them down, you know, pricing the temporary as permanent, that should be an opportunity to buy. I'm not super worried about almost every company I own or any company I own. I'm not worried about most of the companies on the ASX because unless they've got too much debt or unless the disruptions are so dramatic that it literally puts their entire um, existence at risk, when things get back to normal, and they will, things should be okay. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I, I think I broadly agree. Like, I, I mean, uh, yeah, so I'd stay away for companies that have debt. Um, again. So just clear any debt or just inappropriate levels of debt? Well, like, I mean, I mean those that have high levels of debt. Like, right, I mean, right. you know, so I, I think I think a couple of things happen, right? One of the things that happens, I think, and I wouldn't discount this, is um, a company might, I think we need to realize that there are some companies which are relatively small, right? So bigger companies have mm. the ability to uh, withstand uh, difficult times for longer. They have, you know, b- bigger workforce, bigger exposure, bigger right. balance sheets, and things like that. So that, so that, you know, if you've got a small company, relatively small, and a lot of Australian companies are actually small uh, relative to, um, say, global comparisons, right? So I think I'm mindful of that. Uh, again, like I, again, I might be sounding like a Debbie Downer. What I'm trying to be is, is you know, it's, it's good to be pragmatic mm. and, and think about um, where an individual company stands. So that's one. Um, I wouldn't discount, no, well, I completely agree that it's very hard to know how a market is going to price um, the obvious effects we're going to see in the second half, for example, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we don't know how that's going to carry forward into, say, the next, right? I mean, what I'm sort of mindful of one thing. There are certain types of companies where there's going to be pent-up demand, right? So if people are going to buy a certain thing anyways, and they're not buying today because, um, you know, either that product was not made or service was not provided or they just decided to defer for whatever reason, that will result in pent-up demand. Right. However, certain things are discretionary, which if they didn't happen now or got cancelled, are not going to happen. So, for example, travel, I think, is entirely in that discretionary bucket. A lot of the travel that is going to get cancelled is not... It's basically... Uh, I'm basically distinguishing between repeat mm. versus non-repeat. So I'm a big fan of businesses which have this sort of sticky recurring style revenue. Yeah. They may... They are, I think, a much more... You know, they're in a significantly better position to withstand shocks than businesses that you know, depend basically on the discretionary spend. Yep. Travel is one, one of them. So I, I think, you know, travel is basically, it's not it's not repeat. If somebody was going to come here in January and they didn't, mm-hmm. they're likely not going to come here. Yep. Right? Um, that being said, I don't think it's going to impact the number of people who come next January. Well, it's not, but this is gone, right? right, right. So, this yes, is, so this is gone. And therefore, yep. it you know, in a, in a valuation sense, that's basically is gone. Whereas, you know, the other, com- so there might be a company which is going to see an uplift when situations normalize. Yep. Whereas these companies are going to go back to maybe normal, Mm-hmm. Right. And then, of course, uh, you know, in the odd case where some things, you know, if, if the situation remains a struggle, struggler for a long time, then these companies are going to suffer even longer. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I'm just mindful of that. I'll just say, again, there's a price for everything. Um, so if the, if the price is right, of course, uh, that would make complete sense. But um, yeah, I just keep that in mind. Mm, I think it's fair. All right. So that being said, um, I, th- I, I largely agree. I do, honestly, I, I, I used a cafe analogy last week. I don't think I used it on the podcast. If I did, my apologies for repeating it. Um, you know, if you owned a cafe and you paid 300 grand for it, pick a number, 
and council were going to do works out the front for the next three months. That was going to halve or worse your profit for those period of time. Um, there's only so much you can do about that. That being said, I wouldn't then go and sell my cafe for half price just because my profit was half for the next three months. If, they're going to, if it's going to bounce back, if people are going to come back to the cafe after the works are finished, then expecting you should sell the cafe for half the price would be crazy. Flip side, if you're walking past a cafe that's being sold for half price because of some temporary problem, again, you should generally speaking be prepared to pay that money because when sales and profit bounce back, well, guess what? You ended up getting a bargain. So as always, look through the short-term issues to the long-term. If those short-term issues, as Doc said, become problematic, either because they put your business at some sort of existential risk or if there is some secular permanent change for some reason, and I guess if you're a super pessimist, you might say, well, people will always travel less as a result. I think it's remarkably unlikely, but you could take that view. And if that was your view, then you should factor in that to your future expectations of profit. As always, any valuation should be the sum total of all of the future cash flows, not just this year's. And if future cash flows are fine, yes, you should pay a little bit less because this year's cash is down. But if next year's cash is higher again, then you can pretty much, I won't say take it to the bank because it sounds too confident, too, um, too guaranteed. But just think through this and say, okay, if... Easy example. Woolies are going to sell the same number of baked beans in a year's time they did today uh, or yesterday, more to the point maybe. If the share price is knocked off, and again, Woolies is a bad example because I think it's overpriced, but conceptually, there's no reason why Woolies shares should be worth any less because of some short-term, temporary, and frankly, even tangential problem. But hey, if the market's offering you a better price for a stock you like, you should like it even more. Any more on that, mate? Um, no. I, 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 uh... Well, a couple of uh, maybe I have a couple of things. So one is I, th- I think the fundamental assumption. Okay, that, that couple of different things. When there's a sell-off, um, and market general market sell-off, a lot of things get sold off, which means you actually have got a larger, I guess, pile of things to search from. Good point. Yeah. Right. So I would say look at the slate. Yep. And choose the best, which is well, the best is in mm-hmm. like you know, and the best can be defined in multiple different ways. But you know, I guess look at the best uh, value versus you know opportunity trade off, right? I guess mm-hmm. that, that's one way to think about it. So in, in that's the context in which I would say that you know, if you if you're thinking about travel, well, maybe travel is sold off, but maybe something else is also sold off, but which is not affected as much as travel is, and therefore mm-hmm. that other thing is more attractive. Now, I'm just making that example up. Yeah, I'm sure. just I'm just I'm just saying that that is. Uh, one thing to think about. Sometimes what happens is a, a lot of growth companies get sold off more. So I'd say look at growth companies mm. because they get sold off more and growth companies by definition have growth. So therefore they're likely to bounce back again if, if they're going to survive through um, uh, situations like that. Um, yeah, again, um, and, and I guess the, the final related point I would make is just because something is cheaper say 20% than it was last week, doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's actually a good buy. Again, the Correct. reason for that Correct. being that it could have been 50% overvalued at that Absolutely. time, right? Yep. So, so I think keep that in mind as well. Yep. So, so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, I guess, things to think about. But yeah, in general, you know, when there's a sell-off, there, there are opportunities. Correct, correct. So yeah, it, it, I mean, it's 20% cheaper by definition. If you liked it yesterday, you should love it a lot more today. If you hated it yesterday, simply disliking it today shouldn't mean you should buy it. Great, great point. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate, almost lost, frankly. We, you and I were trying to go through the business news, uh, try and catch some of the, the uh, topics of the week this uh, this week. And it's been very, very hard to find anything other than company profit announcements. And even they've been absolutely swamped by market falls slash coronavirus news. And those two have effectively been the same thing this week. But there were some companies that came out. I guess the first one we should touch on, speaking of coronavirus, is Flight Center. Now, 
Flight Center, I might even have a double high horse this week. I'll see how I go. Flight Center uh, downgraded its guidance again, unsurprisingly, because of coronavirus. Um, again, <laughs> no one should have been surprised by this. Maybe the only surprise is that people were surprised. And maybe they weren't too much because the share price didn't actually move on the news. Sometimes the market kind of gets it right. At least it, it expects this stuff already in advance. So no one was surprised when it came through. When it comes to, you mentioned travel in particular before. Um, flight centers guidance, obviously, I assume not a surprise. What, what, were you, what did you make of the, of the numbers? So, uh, yeah. So, here's Flight Center is an interesting company. The reason I say it's an interesting company is that um, now I think Flight Center is a good company, but I don't think it's a great company. Um, again, that's my view. Number two, I think with Flight Center is that, like with many companies, you know, companies report stuff. Um, XYZ is growing. They exactly don't report the stuff that's not growing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, of course, selective reporting. Selective reporting. But, selective reporting, but that, yeah. this is not, that is not. I, actually, uh, I was looking at Flight Center's uh, deck. Um, they're actually one of the <laughs> companies that actually report a lot. So they provide a lot of things if you're actually willing to look at stuff. Mm. So I would not actually even say that they're doing selective re- reporting. Right. So their earnings per share is down. Here's the way I think about Flight Center. I look at Flight Center and say, okay, there are aspects of its business that I think are antiquated and old school. Mm. That doesn't mean they're going to die, but they're just they they don't have secular headwinds. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they've got secular headwinds in in front of them. Mm-hmm. They don't have tailwinds behind them. At the, at the same time, they've got some, certain pieces of business uh, which are great. Like you know, like Aunt Betty, for example. Uh, you know, is a good um, online presence. So, that so, so we're clear. You're saying your Aunt Betty was saying it's the, the flat center's online travel yeah, brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Aunt, <laughs> Aunt Betty. Aunt Betty. Yeah. Which well, I, I, I don't know who came up with that. I'm, I, I'll. Well, I'm I've used to, I've but... used that in the oh, past. Yes? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I think sometimes you get really good deals from. Okay, there, there you go. Uh, so that, that's great. But here's the thing with flight center. I'm just looking at you know Cap IQ, which is sort mm. of the gold standard uh, for data. Again, it's their data. Um, but you know, for the 12 months ended June uh, 30th, 2016, earnings per share diluted was two dollars and 42 cents. Right. Mm-hmm. Last 12 months is a dollar and 98 cents. That's a win then. Yeah, well, two dollars forty eight. Two last. Oh, sorry, you're saying it was two forty eight. Now it's dollar ninety two. Yeah, I thought you were saying the other. Basically, this company's earnings per share have gone nowhere, but you know, has basically been bouncing around. Mm -hmm. So, when I look at this company, I mean, you know, what I see is that basically this company is is might be growing everything, but it's the only thing it's not growing is really earnings. Right. And the earnings is what matters, right? To me, at least as an investor, earnings is what matters. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Like when I look at this, I don't know, you know, TTV, you know, which is the total transaction volume might be growing, mm-hmm. you know, underlying EBITDA might be growing. But, you know, like underlying EBITDA, basically underlying operating profit of a business could grow. But, you know, a lot of businesses, basically what they do, they go and buy other businesses using the share. So this is this, what I call the quantitative easing in the share market, <laughs> right? Because, you know, the central banks like to print money. A lot of our companies love to print money. So they print money. <laughs> print shares at least. Print shares. Yep. So they print shares, they buy more businesses, but they basically dilute in the process. So their earnings go up, their operating earnings go up, their revenue goes up, their TTV goes up. The only thing that matters really to investors is earnings per share. That doesn't go up, right? <laughs> and I really am skeptical of the long-term value of those companies. Of course, like at a, at a certain share price, maybe that's, <laughs> even if the earnings per share stays flat, mm. uh, I would take it, um, you know, but that's probably like, you know, 10 times or nine times earnings or something like that, right? But um, yeah, so that's what I, my take really on companies like Flight Center is I'd buy them at like six times to eight times earnings. That's where I would buy them right. because I just don't see sustained earnings power in these businesses. 
um, if I saw sustained earnings power, and I'm really ignoring underlying operating profit because, you know, I can't take that home, mm. right? So that's that's what I think about about this. And again, uh, the last thing I've not factored in here is, uh, I guess, the situation with interest rates. I, I guess that, you know, if the, as the interest rates stay low, sort of the effective PE goes up. That's the heart. That, that is, for, for everything else that we talk about as investors, and, and rates always matter, but the, the, the uncertainties never mattered quite so much. I think, you know, we talk about yeah. earnings growth, we talk about business models, we talk about all that other stuff. Almost all of that, is not, it's not irrelevant at all, but it's it's almost insignificant when it comes to, so hyper growth companies are different because they can, they can grow at rates that, where the rates, the interest rates don't matter quite so much. But if you're an average company, I don't mean average is in bad, I mean average is in, you know, literally run of the mill, middle of the range company. The, the, the future interest rates probably matter more to your share price than almost any other variable that, you know, with a reasonable range. With Woolies Grows sales at 3% or 25 to 4% is almost irrelevant relative to the interest rate that investors are using to value the company. Yeah, but you know, irrespective of whatever the situation, I mean, the interest rate is the interest rate is the interest rate. It's going to be the same for all the companies. Yes. My preference is going to be to buy a company that's going to grow earnings or has the potential to grow earnings, even if it has very little earnings today, versus buying a company that basically earnings are basically flat, right? So uh, if, if yeah, my well, flight center, right now I'm not touching it. Right. <laughs> but at a certain price, I might touch it. But at, you know, I, I it's still, not very extreme, is it? Let's be honest. It's not very extreme, but I just don't <laughs> think like, you know, uh, I, I, th- I think, you know, you need some earnings growth. However, that earnings growth happens, yep. right? But you need that earnings growth. And if that earnings growth is not there, th- that tells a story about something about the business, Right, it tells something about the business. The business is is there, and it's you know, and like you know, I love the red signs, and I, I you know, in the in the mall near my uh, <laughs> unit, they've got like you know, two flight centers, and I see them. Lots yep. of people working. Lots of it's all there. It's all happening. Mm-hmm. But as an investor, the only thing I get is a portion of the earnings, or basically, that's you know, <laughs> number of shares I own gives me access to the earnings, whether or not it's in dividends or not. So I really don't care about anything else. The only thing I care about is what the earnings profile looks like mm. and you know, you know I, I think personally you know 13 times is is, is okay but as i said you know our, our, our demand um yeah in bigger discount the other thing i'll point out is 13 times of trailing earnings mm-hmm. right so it's probably much higher <laughs> if i look forward yes Right. Particularly for this current financial yeah, year. Yeah, in, in current have. financial year. And so, I, I would say for what it's worth, Matt, I'm going to take a different view on that. Only only partly to be argumentative, partly for fun. Um, just say that you know people who do price it down based on the current year's earnings are actually going to be undervaluing the company unless you believe those earnings are permanently lower, right? So 13 times last year's earnings may well be 20 times this year's earnings. Pick a number, maybe 25, maybe I don't, who knows? Call it 20. Um, if you say that's too expensive, I'll pay less for it. If the earnings bounce back the year after, 2021, all of a sudden, that's going to be very, very, very cheap. And I, I would, I would caution people about selling, particularly selling, buying. If you don't buy, buy. It doesn't matter so much. But if you're going to sell something based just on 2020's depressed earnings, unless that depression is permanent, I think you might be underselling yourself. So the only thing I'll, I'll, I'll tell, you, I'll call out earnings per share for flight center is average of two fifty, two dollars and fifty cents. Maybe average. Two- yeah, because that's where it has really been. Okay, sorry, yeah, yeah. over time? <laughs> in, in, in 2015, it was $2.54, then it went down in 2016 to $2.42, then it went down further to $2.28, then it went down, went up to two sixty. Right. And, and and then it stayed at two sixty, and then again down. Let's call it two fifty. In fact, so it, as a matter of fact, the P is actually higher if you think about the average normalized PE of this company, mm-hmm. right? 
So you're not actually paying 13. You're effectively probably paying like, you know, 15 times right now I, I will, or 16 I will, times. I will so bet I'm you flat the odds. the market. Okay, let's make a bet. <laughs> I, I think I am happy to bet that long term this is a market loser. How I'll long, take that how long, how long are we talking? Five years. Five years, done. Put it in stone. We'll both figure it out this after this. But if, you, if you're listening and you want to have interest, hold us accountable. Come back and see us in 2025. Mate, let's move on. You, that, that was a good rant. I'm impressed. I, I love that good rant. All right. So, here's one you'll love then. <laughs> I have to mention it only because it's super news-y. Um, newsworthy is a different question, but it's certainly been in the news. Good old retail food group, the company behind Michelle's Patisserie, Brumby's Bakery, Gloria Jeans, a handful of other franchises, which was absolutely dragged through the mud, justifiably or otherwise, by the good people at Fairfax Press. Um, it came out this week, and it seems like, if nothing else, it's managed to staunch the bleeding. I think shares are up about 5%. Now, I will declare I own some shares, so um, just, just keep that in the, in mind. Um, when it comes to the, uh, you know, the, the business itself seems to have been able to stabilise, if nothing better. Now, the shares are about 10 cents each, so they're pretty cheap. Or they're still expensive, depending which way the shares and and uh, and profits go from here. Is flight center through the worst of it, mate? Is this is this? You you mean retail group? So what did I say? You said flight center. <laughs> Maybe that's probably a slip. It's retail food group. Thank you. Through the worst of of the the bad news, it, it does seem from the numbers that they you know they've been able to they raise some capital, they've paid off some debt. They it feels like this is a new base for the business. No no comment about the share price. We know share price can go anywhere, but but it seems like at least. It gives it a chance to kind of start again from a new lower base. And I have to say, I did notice too, before I ask you to answer, uh, there was a lot of franchisee love in the in the press release from the company, saying how important the franchisees and the employees were to the business. Um, whether they've learned their lessons or not, I'm not sure. They've certainly, they know they have to show that they've learned their lessons. And that did come through pretty clearly. You know, before I say anything, I would have said the market has opened. Oh, dear. And... Here's the good news. Yes. There's some good news. Hey, hey. We are down less than the American market. Oh, that's no, that's no bad thing. <laughs> there was the, not the, hard though. The market was down four and a half percent in the states. What well, are we down? Three and three and three point three. Yeah. So it's a win. <laughs> I'm always talking about the win here. Okay. Just look at the bright okay. side. You're yes. not down four and a half. Right. It could be worse, right? We could be down five. I'm actually down about line with the market, which, given my portfolio, is not a bad thing. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> Oh, retail food group's down four percent as I as I speak. Retail food group, mate. Your your is it a new base? Is it is it a business ready for recovery? You know, I'm going to disappoint you with this one. Oh, come on! I'm going to really disappoint you. Come with on! This one. And the reason is, while I do have coffee at Gloria Jeans, good man, and you know I have that only for you. <laughs> um, I actually have no view, zero view on because zero I, because view. because here's the thing, right? The yep. company I I was following the story with you know like with open <laughs> eyes and open, you know my ears yes, are open, yes, yes. You know, all sorts of things, even going and asking the store people what's going on. <laughs> but you know, like uh, I've just lost track because they did a lot of things about raising capital, you know, getting rid of non-performing stuff or non-core things. Mm-hmm. A lot of things happen. I just don't know what's going on with this business right now. And, you know, the, the only thing is, my new rule of thumb is I stay away from shares with the 10 cents or below. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's probably fair. That's probably so, fair. but I have, so you, t- you tell me, because you own shares. I'm actually interested in knowing is Gloria Jeans going to survive <laughs> because that's the only part I care about. Or at least your and, Gloria and, Jeans. And, 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 and the crust pizza. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I I bought shares, uh, what was it, a couple of months ago, I think, mate, two or three months ago, um, when they raised capital after the capital raising was announced or after it went through, actually. Um, just I didn't recommend it to our members. It's, it's, I think the only ASX stock I own that isn't a, a, a recommendation of one of my services, the reason was it was just not of, of sufficient quality to be a share advisor recommendation, so I didn't put it in share advisor. Um 
there are I have have some standards when it comes to the socks that we recommend to our members. RFG was always more speculative than that, and it really was a story of either this thing is good value or it goes broke. The, the share price was and remains, I think, to my mind, so cheap that it's hard to justify the current price being so low if this business is a growing a going concern with a reasonable level of profit, and assuming that profit grows over time, the shares were just too cheap to ignore. Now, as I said, or it goes broke, and so that that's not a zero chance, right? And that's why it was a it was a tiny portion of my portfolio, um, less than one percent from memory. And it was just literally a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a dabble, I suppose. Um, I really do think that as a as a company, it has the brands and the foot traffic to be successful. It, it's it's a very, very nice business model um, if it can keep the franchisees on side, which is what it screwed up last time. So I, I don't know is the honest answer. I was pleased to see it managed to staunch the bleeding and basically deliver what it said it was going to do. And that has been unusual for retail food group. So that's a win. Whether whether it manages to succeed from here or not is obviously a very, very different question. All right, let's move on, mate, to a couple I do know you cover and have a little bit of knowledge about. Let's start with, well, before I do I, that, I only have little knowledge. Well. I, I like that caveat, actually. <laughs> because it wasn't, it's re- I wasn't supposed to say it wasn't much. My point was the Australian understatement I, of like, I, you know. I, I totally love the fact that I know little because if anything I say, I only know little. No, just know, keep I, that in you mind. You know a little about it, I said. Not uh, you know little about it. I just know little. Very different, very different I'm phrases. just changing it. Very different phrases. Okay. Stick with me. <laughs> you actually know a lot about this company. Before I do, though, mate, I'm going to let our listeners know that they can get access to your advice at Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. The service you run for the Motley Fool, uh, this is an ad, as you may tell, uh, it's a, a service that you run which is currently selling for less than 100 bucks a year, if I, know, if I remember rightly. Um, I don't know anywhere else where you're going to get market-beating ASX investment advice for less than 100 bucks a year run by a bloke who knows your stuff and a team who know their stuff, just super high-quality investment advice, great insight, great thoughts, great education, if you are not a member of Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, what are you even doing? You really should be a member. So go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast to get the best from Doc and Kevin. Um, that's the service they run. They are higher risk investment opportunities. They expect a lower strike rate than average, but a higher return than average. And that's exactly what they've delivered so far. A diversified portfolio. In fact, the entire scorecard of EO well and truly just smashing the market at the moment, despite even the short-term ructions we've been suffering recently. It probably will be more volatile than the average bear. It'll probably be more uh, have a lower strike rate than the average bear, but also thus far at least, and I expect personally, no guarantees, of course. We can't give those. We wouldn't give those. I reckon it's going to be a very, very good service to be a member of. So if you're not already and you want a little bit of extra spice in your portfolio, go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast and you can get a special deal to join Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. End of ad. All right, mate. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't even intend to do that, but I just thought given the next couple of companies we're going to talk about are companies that you've Recommended in one service or another, companies you know well, was a good chance for people to get in on the inside of some of the advice you give. Tell me about the recent results from Afterpay. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, so Afterpay actually had good results. I'd say, you know, uh, well, um, if, if 100% increase of sales or stuff like that is, uh, is uh, we call it good. So, I mean, uh, maybe I'm, I'm low-balling it here. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, like... Um, so if you think about the merchant sales are so basically you know total volume of payment going through the after ne- after pay network that was up uh, stunning 100%. So it basically doubled to 4.8 billion 5 billion. Yeah, let's call it 5 billion, right? Uh, which means sort of the annualized underlying sales now if you look at sort of the last 3 months 
is is at 11 billion. So 11 billion of payment is going through the Afterpay network. That is pretty significant. They are signing up new merchants like anything. Um, you know, they have their customer count is going up at a phenomenal rate. You know, they've just signed up. Um, they're now up to like what some seven million active customers, right? So if you think about this. And and you realize that they're, they're relatively mature, though not as mature as you'd expect in in Australia and New Zealand. They've just started scratching sort of the surface in the U.S. They have, um, you know, they they have some presence in in the U.K. and they're off to a flying start again in the U.K. And they've announced the intention to sort of you know expand into Canada. So I think this company is doing very well, executing on a strategy. It's a t- it's got a team that really knows what they're doing. Um, I like it. it. It's great. You know, it's 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 great to see those sort of the underlying numbers for payment volume, you know, go up exponentially. And, you know, that's, I think the key here to remember is as long as this exponential growth happens, you know, more retailers, more customers, more customers, more retailers. And as you sign up some of the big brands in the US, and then you're able to sort of take that concept further into, say, Europe and other European countries, because you've got the same sort of retail brands that you're serving everywhere. I think there's, there's a uh, flywheel sort of effect mm. that can happen and if that happens then the you know, underlying sort of sales volume goes up through the roof and when that happens this company becomes really a cash generating machine it right now it's not right and i think the mm. key thing to remember is again you need the underlying gross merchandise volume or you know gmv sort of to go up a lot for this thing to actually generating uh, generate a lot of cash mm. but I, I think we can see the signs that this thing can happen and the fact that they have proven themselves in nz then taking the concept, sort of taking the learnings from here and then able to get fast growth in the US off to a great start and then off to a great start in the UK. It seems that the concept transcends borders, which mm. is great. And uh, Yeah, I'm, I was staggered by the fact there's more, they've got more customers or more merchants, sorry, now in the US than anywhere else. I've I, I got to say, I, I'm surprised, I genuinely surprised they got there that quickly. Yeah, but, but I mean, see, so that, that's, I think, the win, right? I mean, it's, if you're successful in that in the U.S. market, it's it's no doubt that you know it's going to be, it's going to be better because it's going to be significantly bigger than the. I mean, you know, we had a population of 22, 24, 25 million or whatever it is uh, right now. Um, they're a population of three hundred thirty million. So that oh the, sure, the, but the, the traction size, they've got is phenomenal. I mean, yeah, the phenomenal. Yeah. They're not exactly super mature here, but I, there aren't too many large retailers that aren't offering afterpay here these days, are there? Yeah, well, no, but you know, the thing is that they started mm. uh, with online offerings, right? Then they've gone to offline offering, right? True. And 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 I think it's a combination, so they can take share on both sides. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And and um, I think that again, they're targeting a specific demographics, people who are you know trying to budget sort of how much to pay, mm. um, and when to pay. So yeah, I, I think generally impressed with the the execution in the in the US. I generally impressed with the execution in the UK. Um, hopefully, a lot more scale to show. So yeah, it, it things are going well for that mm. company. Mm. I like it. Very good. I, I've said for a long time, I think this is either a $5 company or a $50 company. I don't really know which. So I've stayed away from it. And frankly, that's cost me a lot of money so far. Um, it does seem to me that if, if the US foray is successful, they can genuinely lodge themselves permanently, even even at a reasonably small market share, but a sufficient one to give it long-term success. This is worth well more than 50 bucks, right? If it If it can't quite hit sufficient escape velocity, for want of a better term, in the US, if it kind of you know, fizzles out and can't ever quite just grab enough mind share, market share, merchant share, um, whatever else starts with them, to uh, triple M share, uh, to, uh, to to really, you know, stay in that market. If it has to come home with its tail between its legs, it's probably worth a lot less than the current price. Is that, is that a fair assessment? 
Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Like, I mean, so the couple of scenarios here to think about, right? So that's basically what I was alluding to. So they need to get to more, a lot more scale, right? And given the gross domestic, uh, uh, sort of gross merchandise volume that's going through the through the system right now, in in the global scheme of things, it's actually pretty small. So, right. so in a way, competition probably is not. You know, they have competition, but none of the scary competition that you know you would really worry about, right? Now. These sort of things can play out in many different ways. You know, Afterpay establishes a category. Somebody could come in and sweep in um, and and basically overnight, you know, roll something out that's very similar. That could happen, mm-hmm. you know. It could also happen that somebody who could actually do that doesn't want to do it because they're taking on credit risk, right? Mm-hmm. And not every company is interested in taking credit risk. Yeah, okay. so, so those companies with big, you know, big wallet shares, right, they don't right, take right. credit risk. A lot of them don't basically just take credit risk. They right? literally run the network. They don't actually handle the cash any other than just yeah. a pass-through mechanism. Exactly. Right. So so that's that. Um, you know, and then I, I think the, there is a point at which, you know, again, I'm not 100% sure what that point is, but there's a point at which, Afterpay basically becomes the thing. And when right. something becomes the thing, it takes a while to replace that thing, yeah. right? Uh, so sure. so that's the thing. I mean, I think the way you think about it, that's the way I think about it too. Like, I mean, I think about it, that, you know, there's a lot more upside if the U.S. keeps scaling. Mm. Um, you know, I'd probably think that, you know, the share price is probably around 30. So it's probably, you know, I'd, you know if, it, if it continues with this rate of growth and can get a meaningful share in the U.S., this could be like a $100 stock, right? Yeah, totally. But, but if it doesn't, this could be a ten dollars stock. <laughs> right, like yep, yep. you know, so I, the way I think about this is there's a there's a big upside potential. There is a downside potential here. I think it's worthy of allocation if, if for those people who are growth tolerant and you know and, and volatility. Uh, those those people who want growth and are volatility tolerant. This is going to be absolutely a volatile stock today. I think it's going to be down a lot. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, like I mean. It is genuinely one of those disruptors out mm-hmm. there. Um, it's down like nine point five percent as as I'm speaking. So mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, expect a lot of volatility. It's got a great team. It's got they're, they're hiring people from some of the best of the best um, out there. Um, yeah, they they make the vision. The vision is very clear. If you listen to their conference calls, they're like really crystal clear as to what they want to do, mm-hmm. how they want to get there. So I mean, all of these things are there. Be cognizant. I mean, this is you know, this is not something that there is a there is a risk that it doesn't work out mm. and one needs to be mindful of that to consider that the downside and there's upside that you need to consider. Yeah, so I mean, it has a place in a growth portfolio. Um, you know, size it according to your risk sort of tolerance. Uh, that's the way I think we size it. Mm. Uh, yeah, we we own it. We own, own a percentage, mm-hmm. not a small percentage, but it, you know, but not a very large percentage relative to the rest of the stuff in, in pro. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, we like it. Uh, but yeah, we would not like go all in and say, oh, this is the mm, stock you're mm, going to put, you know, by 20%, put 20% of your portfolio. That's absolutely yeah. not what we are doing. Yeah, for sure. Mate, um, sticking with the A's and sticking with Australian or Australasian, we'll say, companies looking to make a dent in the world, A2 Milk was also out this week. Another Australian company with big, well, Australasian, apparently they reckon they're a Kiwi company, but we've pretty much claimed haven't we? Um, it's just Australia. Australian. they <laughs> they, they, they have, Kiwis would hate us for saying that, you know. Oh, you know, they they look. I'm just feel, waiting for the day when we can call New Zealand part of Australia. Well, the problem is they keep trying to claim Pavlova and Russell Crowe and Crowded House, and we all know they're Australian. So let's let's you know, <laughs> Kiwi, we love our Kiwi brothers and sisters, but they should just lay off some of the iconic Australian actors like. Have, have I just Crow made myself not like n- non-welcome in New Zealand? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> we won't be doing any guest uh, podcast episodes over there anytime soon. Yeah. But we do love our, our Kiwi brothers and sisters. My best mates are Kiwi, and uh, proudly so. Uh, so good day, Simon. Um, all right, let's let's move uh, let's move on a little bit from that, mate. So two A two specifically. Uh, this is I've always been a little bit nervous about A two because I've worried that this is a company built around a product and a product built around a single proposition, and that is the A two milk protein, right? And for as long as people think, believe, maybe even one day it gets proven uh, that the A two protein does help or at least the absence of the A1 protein is beneficial. This is a great stock. If they ever lose that idea, and I've always been concerned, maybe too much, by the way. Um, I, I remember way back in the day, my old man used to take garlic tablets like they were going out of style. Garlic was the thing everyone was taking. All of a sudden, no one takes garlic tablets anymore. Now, Blackmores was okay because it did a whole lot of stuff. I own Blackmore shares for the record. did a whole lot of stuff other than garlic, but there's a brand called Kyolic Garlic, which was all about garlic, which suffered... Massive falls never really recovered because it was all about garlic and that was great while garlic was good. And then once the ship sailed, there wasn't much left. Where does A2 sit on that continuum in your mind? All right. Okay. So I wrote an update which I called Why We Love or Why I Love the A2 Milk Company. <laughs> okay. Um, that that I, gives us a head. Gives I, us a sense I, I, of... I think I wrote that yesterday. So I, right. I'm going to first debunk part of your um, uh, Blackmore's theory that you applied here. Um, not quite debunk, but I'm going to just sort of. Uh, I'm saying I'm right, by the way. I just no, think no, that's no, my, no, my, no, my, my concern. No. So I'll, I'll just try to, I guess, answer that concern. So one of the things to realize just like Blackmore's has multiple products. Yep. A2 also has multiple products. Yes. Now, at the at the at a very high level, we can basically say A2 is selling good milk of a yep. certain type, but it's selling multiple different milk products, yes. right? So yes. it's, it's it's selling infant formula, it's selling liquid milk, it's selling, you know, creamers, it's selling packaged, you know, milk, uh, you know, long life milk and things like that, right? So it's a bit like in in a way, and it's selling premium in some sense. It's premium, you know, it's creating premium whether it's via branding or something. Right, so I don't think it's at any absolute risk in that sense because they've got multiple product lines. Now, of course, now if someday somebody comes and says, "Oh, A two is really bad for you," then I think they've got a problem. Right. But here's the thing: that day nobody drinks milk because every milk has A two. Right. So, right, right. so I think I, I think you know even from a competitive point of view, you know, I just you know I, I think that they're relatively safe as that, you know, and I. The way I think about A2 is like, I think part of it is their strategy to basically get acquired customers, right? right. You know, you acquire customers, and you decide, it's just basically like saying, you know, I'm going to have vitamin C and it's going to somehow make you better, right? Yep. I mean, it does not. Um, like most of the vitamins are basically use, useless unless they've been prescribed by your doctor for, you know, some deficiency. Allegedly. Right? Well, that's the fact. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need vitamins unless they've been prescribed, but Allegedly. he will still have it. So, you know, it's one of those things. On the infant formula, though, one of the things that works for a company like A2 or any company that actually has premium infant formula is that basically you're selling infant formula to to customers who want to feed their children the best. Mm -hmm. And and I think that proposition is very strong uh, for young families, right. right? And I think that's the proposition that a lot of these, you know, the Bellamy's used to exploit the same sort of proposition in mm -hmm. a different way, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the, you know, the, I look at, I don't think of this as the A2 company i think of this company as a premium milk brand that sells a bunch of different milk products right 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 but, but i think devil's advocate though i mean to the at some point when people no longer associate a2 as being necessary or premium the whole thing can still come undone right it, you know and not saying it's even necessarily likely but conceptually at some level if 
you know, like garlic's not been proven to be bad for you. People just stop bothering to take it. At some point, if people say, well, A2 is not bad for you, but I don't really see the point in taking it. You know, science or, or fashion or fad has moved on. I, I get that it was at some point. Now, now I want to have goat milk. Now I want to have almond milk. Now I want to have cow milk from blue and yellow spotted cows. You know, whatever the new thing is, may well take away. A2 doesn't have to be disproven or even, even you know, proven to be bad for you for people to simply say, I just, I'm kind of moving on. Yeah, well, I, I understand that a low probability. I mean, people have for yonks and ages and for like, you know, centuries have had milk of some form or the other. So, yep. I mean, I think kids are going to have milk anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what is absolutely possible is the premium premium that they're getting and therefore the, you know, one of the good things, one of the good things in the results mm. was that, you know, the mix is switching, is shifting a lot towards infant formula and the infant formula part is where the premium is, right? Nice. Um, so, in a world, in a different version of the world, it is possible that that, that premium disappears or people start, you know, they have to compete on price. As long as that happens when you've got, you know, substantial skill and substantial penetration to market, I mean, that's a very different point. If, whenever right, right, that happens, right. I think that's a, that's a question of worry, right? So the pricing power of the brand is, 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 is definitely a concern. One needs to keep that in mind. Right now, it has not been eroded. Right now, it's, it's fine. So, and, you know, again, these things... Yeah, it, it's not a consumer. It's not like uh, Louis Vuitton bags, right? right, right, right. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, yeah, yeah. And we need to be yeah. con- cognizant of that. It's not Louis Vuitton bags. People are not going to line up. Uh, people do line up actually to buy, you know, and there are quarter limits. And so it's, it's kind of <laughs> like the Louis Vuitton bag of milk. But yeah, I realize, <laughs> uh, I do realize. I want to say on the back of their packages. A2 milk, the Louis Vuitton of milk. Well, like I mean, they may, they might earn. And if they do, they should credit yeah. me for that. <laughs> but but I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know. I'll take a fee. <laughs> uh, I'll take a fee for uh, for uh, branding, advertising, or whatever not. But but I mean, you know, like I mean, right now you can think of it like that, right? But as long is if you if you do not maintain that for some yeah. reason, and that point, of course, you need to revisit your investment thesis. Um, <laughs> thus far, I think none of that has been an issue um, because there's, I mean, they have phenomenal growth even in the ANZ, where it is very you know very dominant in Australian milk grew by ten percent. Mm. That is like phenomenal. They've got very high operating margins on 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 that side. The China operating business is, has got significant. And here's the interesting thing: this is this is almost like an anti-coronavirus stock, right? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> while people are all you know worried about coronavirus, they still got to feed their babies. And in fact, they probably want to feed their babies the best thing. Right. And and you can buy this stuff online, so it just gets delivered by I don't know by some robot or something. <laughs> but people are still buying this thing. So, so in fact, this is one of the few companies that had oh, but you know, so far it doesn't look like we've been impacted. <laughs> so um, you do have to wonder stuff. I mean, and I own Amazon, you own Amazon. You do have to wonder about um, just massive tangent here, but coronavirus online retail. Like, I mean, apparently Zoom shares are up in the US because everyone's supposed to be going to telecommute. Well, frankly, that was Skype back in the SARS days. I've been here before. I've seen this movie. Uh, but you got to think, like someone like an Amazon, like you know, if, you, if it's going to stay home, not go to the shops, you'd imagine, I mean, of all things, an Amazon or, or you know, some other delivery service, you got to figure that's a boon for those guys. The fact the shares are getting knocked down for those companies as much as everybody else, it does seem there's a little bit of indiscriminate selling, doesn't it? Yeah, like I mean, I don't know how much, how much. I've not actually looked at what the Amazon uh, Amazon sure. share price has, uh, from what I remember, hasn't been hit that hard, because um, uh, I guess again the online factor, like oh, I just, it just means so it was down, it was down four point eight percent overnight. I've just looked it up. I mean, everything is down. That's my point. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of go, well, hang on, but like, I, if you if you're going to say coronavirus is a big deal, therefore, okay, let's sell off tourism stocks, let's sell off travel stocks, let's sell off consumer discretionary, like physical retail companies, 
like you got to go to the shops. Okay, you sell off Westfield. Even if even at the very worst of scenarios, the company's going to win out of this. Yeah, I like it makes it. no sense to yeah. me that Amazon gets sold one, off. One of the things that does hurt Amazon. I mean, just again, we've, we have moved in a massive tangent. <laughs> Huge. But, you know, because Amazon makes a lot of money off third-party sales. Yep. They manage the sales, right? I mean, yep. a lot of those third-party could actually be hit, be hurt or they might not have workers working and things like that. True. So, so that's potential for that. But anyways, going back to A2 Milk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think China results, fantastic. Uh, right. Both on the e-commerce channel and on sort of the China labeled in the mother and baby stores and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, footprint increasing, everything is great. Yep. They're making a lot of investment right now, which is why sort of, you know, you're not seeing the operating leverage. The operating leverage actually disappeared mm-hmm. um, in this half. That makes sense when, you, when you're seeing that kind of growth. Um, Except, I, like, I would, I would get that as a result of the earnings itself. But this is, as the market sold off 4.5%, Amazon gets sold off 4.8%. It's not a, it's not a qualitative view. If they sold off, I would have disagreed. But either way, at the point of earnings release, I get it. Yeah, 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 the yeah, overnight, yeah. The overnight sell down with the rest of the market – Again, even if you, even if you believe that some stock should be sold off for that reason, when everything gets sold for exactly this or roughly the same amount, yeah. just arbitrarily, it does say to me that someone's not thinking. Yeah. Oh, again, again, we have a massive tangent. Oh, one of the things <laughs> that happened uh, overnight, I think, and this was sort of the main news, was apparently the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., yep. is now tracking about over a thousand people in California. Right. Right. And California is, in many ways, the nerve center of many companies. Right. Yep. So what I think people are really worried about and that sort of reflects in, in the share price down movement is if if you do what happened in, if if something that happened in uh, in China, yep. which is basically where, you know, you go into like this, you know, voluntary lockdown and people work from home, California being disrupted is a significant disruption in that sense. So I think, you know, I get the fear, but a lot of these companies are also companies that where people can just basically work from home. So, <laughs> so, so I'm not really sure how it impacts um, uh, unless, you know, people are basically, you know, uh, not buying stuff and not doing the business and not making any decisions. But anyways, again, we're deviating from A2 milk, huge tangent. Um, huge tangent. But, you know, I think the only thing I'll call out is A2 previously, maybe a couple of years back, mm. When it was growing its business, you know, first it was the suitcase business, right? Growing Australia and the suitcase business was the suitcase travelers taking stuff to China. Yep. Then they built the China. So they've, they've really good, done a good job of that. They built China up really well. Now they've sort of set up a pillar saying that, okay, we want to also do the same thing in the U.S. And the reason I'm calling this out is there's a lot of Australian companies that go to the U.S. Well, again, I call this an Australian company. Maybe the Kiwis won't mind this. <laughs> they go to the U.S. And I get it. Huge market, right? Mm-hmm. Probably some halo effect if you win the you know the US you can probably right, go to other right. markets. Yeah, but there are a lot of skeletons as well of people trying that. Right, <laughs> so so I quantify that as an opportunity and a risk right, at the same right, time. Right, right, and they want to get a modestly about a US hundred million dollars <laughs> annual sales there. Yeah, they were nowhere near there. They grew like they, they doubled it to like some thirty million New Zealand in total sales. Right, mm-hmm. so they were nowhere close to that number. That's going to take a lot of investments yeah. to get there. Yeah. And there is that risk that it doesn't work out yeah. as they think it's going to work out. And then they would have burnt a whole lot of money, right? Sure. So I think that's the thing I'll call out um, with them. You know, I'd much rather prefer they're focusing on sort of on the Southeast or the, the South Asia sort of, you know, you know, so they're opening into, uh, into Hong Kong, Korea. You know, there's lots of other places, Vietnam, Indonesia, like, you know, those are the places, Singapore, m- large populations, growing middle class, big middle class population I think you know my, my, my preference is to stay there uh, but yeah this is a strategy again I would say that you, know, you could always say that well they should try you know if you, and if you win that's a huge win but yeah that's, that's the risk in my I mind would, I would and, argue they're almost they'd almost be 
negligent not to try. If you can, if you can be successful in Australia and and you're fortunate enough, clever enough, whatever, to be successful also in China or somewhere else, I, I would argue that even if you burn X million dollars trying to be successful in the US, it's almost negligent not to, given the size of the prize. If you have the working capital and the an objective chance of being successful, even if it's a I don't know ten twenty percent chance, don't you kind of have to give it a go? If you can spend, pick some numbers, ten million dollars to try and make it big in the US, and if you do, uh, if you are successful, there's a hundred million dollars a year in revenue or profits forever. Don't you almost have to do it? Yeah, I don't disagree. But I'm just calling out. I take, I take yeah, the risk absolutely. Yeah. It's it's the risk. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think yeah, it's probably. You know, as as uh, as custodians of the business for the shareholders, I guess they have to. Now, just just for my ego, you see, you don't disagree. Does that mean you agree? Yeah, I agree. There we go. <laughs> so we get that on tape just once. Yeah, so I, I put agree. It, I put it in the CV. So so yeah, <laughs> you know, that was my longish take with a lot of detours on Ato uh, Milk. Mate, this has been a really really good episode. We've got a little bit of time left, but you know, we haven't got enough time for the whole mailbag, don't you? There's not enough time. You know what that means. I have no idea what that means. Ring the bell mailbag episode this Sunday. Ding, 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 ding. That's a good bell. Yeah. Digital bell, but a bell. Get excited, fools. If you love what we do, hopefully you do because you're listening. A little bit more coming your way this Sunday. Yes, it's becoming something of a thing, but that's because we're getting some great questions. We do have time for one, probably one question. I was going to say one or two questions, mate, and I looked at my first question and thought, yeah, we've only got time for one. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The question comes from John, and John says, Hi, Doc and Scott. Oh, dear. Are you ready for this? I... He says, Doc, you mentioned you may look at Commonwealth Bank at a P of about 10 to 12. That was in a recent podcast. I, for some Somehow you managed to uh, to say you would possibly even look at Commonwealth Bank, which was enough of a shock for me when I got up on, off the off the floor. He said about 10 to 12, and that's a decent discount. He says, implicitly, your discount rate to the price to, to price the stock within about 9%. So discount rate is kind of the rate at which you discount future sales growth, blah, blah, blah. Basically, he's saying, look, a 10 to 12 times, your discount rate about 9%. He said, but Tesla, you mentioned that once or twice before, doesn't have a PE ratio at all, but on forward earnings estimates, some say it's roughly 80. If the current share pricing is still acceptable, share, uh, that translates into an implied discount rate of about 1%. So... 100 divided by 81 and a bit. Um, again, 10 to 12, about 9%. So that's kind of the, the math that John's doing. I suspect your defense will be that it's reasonably priced given there's a huge difference in the growth trajectories of the two companies. Fair enough. But my question is, how could you require a return as low as 1% for a stock which remains both volatile and nowhere near risk-free? Why don't you want money, Doc? Why are you so prepared to make such a tiny, tiny return on some, <laughs> staring at me with <laughs> the reason. reason I, I'm, was, I'm, I'm, we might have some video in this. The look you just gave me then was absolutely you stopped me in my tracks. You, you know the reason I, I, I was giving you the look <laughs> is here's how John and uh, you both have put me into the situation where I, you know, I was actually literally thinking tomorrow morning yeah. of doing something. Tesla options. Oh dear. Which now I can't. So well, you can gonna... if you don't answer the question. Would you, would you like to hold it next week? No, 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 I'll answer it. I can still wait. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll get lucky and I'll I'll, I'll make more money oh, that dear. way. John, you owe Dr. So, money so, at so, so, yeah. So, Sorry, you, you mate. know, no, 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 that's fine. Uh, so, you know, here's the funny thing, right? Um, so, he's absolutely right that, you know, basically if you put like, you know, eight, seven, eight percent discount rate and you basically assume zero percent, like with Commonwealth Bank, here's what I think their actual earnings growth is basically close to zero. Right. The real earnings growth, you know, and long term or short term or both? 
I, I think for the longest time, their real earnings growth is basically zero, right? Basically, it has been zero. Like if they call cash profits and this and blah and blah and blah. But I mean, you know, if you look at you know the banks, it's also hard to figure out what the real EPS is, right? Now, are but, you saying just to, just for clarity, are you saying close to zero in a, the dock world of hyper growth, so that zero to five is still zero? Or are you saying literally no? no zero? I think like this thing, this bank is going to do two percent. Okay, like. Basically, it's going to do 2%. Okay. Like, how much do you want to pay for 2% is up to you. That's number one. Right. So, I mean, probably somewhere around 13, 14, you know. It, here's the thing, right? When you put, if you, um, I have to put, uh, take out my calculator, but, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. But my guess would be that some great radio, mate, now. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a, I have a Google Sheet that actually does, uh, I use Google Sheets. Nice. Yeah. Um, um, Calculator basically just assumes a certain discount rate and looks at you know mm. certain assumptions for growth rate and what sort of is the in the hypothetical PE for that. Yep. You probably will land up with something like fourteen or fifteen, maybe fifteen okay. for for that scenario. Here's the thing: um, everybody thinks Commonwealth Bank is risk free. Mm-hmm. I'd actually say it's a very risky stock. Okay, right? It's a very stock risk- or business or both. Well, it's a, well, the, the stock and the business. Okay, right? Yep. And, and the reason it's risky is if you look at the indebtedness, you know, in, in the society and look at how much people owe and look at, you know, what the situation is with, with debt, then, you know, it doesn't look good, right? Now, I'm not saying, that you know, there's going to be a run on the banks or something, but there have been situations where banks have, you know, basically run into trouble. Mm. That doesn't mean the depositors are in trouble. That doesn't mean that the homeowners are in trouble. It means the bank is actually in trouble. Right? That has happened in, in a bunch of different places. And you know what happens? The shareholders actually come back winning, you know, holding a, a tin with no money in it. Right. Right. The other people are just fine. <laughs> so so I wouldn't say Commonwealth Bank is risk-free or any bank or any any anything on the stock market is risk-free. That's number one. Mm. And just to clarify uh that point. Yeah, with, with respect to Tesla, again, it's yes, it's you know, the forward earning number he's quoting is based on what the consensus estimates are i mean i mean you could argue that if something is growing earnings at 100 percent, maybe you're paying 80 times for that is not actually too much um i have said before personally i believe tesla is probably the most underpriced innovative growth stock that exists today right well it's one of my largest positions mm-hmm. and the reason it is my largest position is exactly for that reason if you think about innovation if you think about what it can do and what it is currently doing and you know, if you look at cash flows that is generating, uh, the efficiency at which they are running, um, then it looks like it's a bargain, right. right? And and you know, I think if you look at it with the lens of oh, it's a car company, and therefore, um, you know, how can it be worth one hundred and thirty billion dollars when Toyota is worth blah blah blah? Well, you know, that that is basically uh, that's basically looking at the old world and sort of comparing it with the new world, and that kind of doesn't work. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that's yeah so. How much discount you want to ask for is really up to you. But if I look at uh, Tesla as a company, I think a company which is basically disrupting multiple industries. It's in, in disrupting the the car industry. It is basically creating a new industry called electric vehicles. Right? Nobody else really is creating that industry. They're leading the, the charge in creating the electric vehicles. They're leading the charge on autonomous. Mm-hmm. They're leading the charge on commercial electric vehicles. They are leading the charge on storage of energy. They're leading the charge on distributed energy generation. So, and God knows what else that they're working on, right? <laughs> so, I, I mean, those... But you're paying... So, so the, the thesis here is basically you're paying up... A, a, I mean, there, there is no basis for 
paying 80 times today's earnings unless there is growth coming down the pike. You're you're making the the I use the word bet. I use the word bet deliberately, not because it's a risky thing, because I think all investing actually benefits from being thought about as odds and probabilities. So you're making the bet that the fu- the future growth that as you've already mentioned, those different industries they they're trying to execute in will make profit be meaningfully higher if that idea is roughly right. Um, you know, gone from not profitable to profitable, so that's a start. But it's going to have to do a lot more growth to justify the current price. You're saying based on what you expect from the company, that's a good bet. Yeah, like I, I, I think that's yeah. So he quoted what eight dollars something as as the consensus estimate for twelve months into twenty twenty. I mean, the thing is that the earnings probably will you know quadruple, right, right. in in like three four years, right? I, th- I think. Which makes today's price pretty good, right? As long as if, it, if it keeps growing after that, if 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 it's on eighty now, pick the number. Yeah. Earnings could triple up. That brings the P down to, to 20. Now, the share price would go nowhere in that scenario. But if you could pay today's price for 20 times 2024 earnings, that in theory then grow at double-digit rates for a decent amount of time after that, that's a pretty cheap way to go. Yeah, I, I think that's – yeah. I'm basically paying you – know, for. I think I'm paying a fair price for what people currently know. That's the way I look at it. Right, right, right. But at the same time, then I'm buying optionality. I'm getting probably the most innovative entrepreneur of – last 30, 40, 50 years is basically like buying Steve Jobs plus um, Bill Gates plus like Bezos all in one combo. Right. I'm getting somebody who, you know, does not sell down their stock but buys with every capital raising, somebody who has basically all their wealth tied to it. I'm buying with mm-hmm. someone who basically says, I am the first person in and I'm the last person out of this stock. I'm buying for a company led by a CEO who basically says, I take no money. The only money I get is if this company's stock price actually does really well and the company basically does really well, then I get rewarded. Right. So in other words, you get rewarded, then I get rewarded. If you don't get rewarded, even if you get rewarded well, but not well enough, he doesn't get rewarded. Right. So I think that's a lot of, you know, um, so irrespective of the idiosyncrasies and all the other stuff that you got to, you know, take with that, um, in my mind... As I said, it's one of the cheapest growth stocks that's out there. That's probably a good place to finish it, mate. That is it for today. Before we go, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And as I mentioned before, John, you do owe Doc a beer because he can't make his trades tomorrow. So I hope you feel guilty. Hope you'll buy him a beer next time you see him. In the meantime, if you like what we're doing, and John, you should particularly give us a high rating because, you know, I've got to get something for this. If you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and tell your friends, leave us a review, say some nice things to us and to your friends about us. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness too. Straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. And you can get some doc goodness by signing up for extreme opportunities at fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Give us a little bit of love. Give yourself a little love, quite frankly, for less than 100 bucks a year. Seriously, to get cheaper than that. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week and this Sunday with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.